Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining the conversation. Today, I want to talk to you about digital transformation. Uh, It's an interesting term. It's one whose appearance in publications has uh, doubled yearly over the last uh, five to seven years, to the point where some have called the term overused. Uh, Gartner defines digital transformation as the process of exploiting digital technologies and supporting capabilities to create a robust new business model. Others have called it a revolution that's uh, key to achieving the agility and adaptability needed uh, to be able to compete moving forward. And yet here we are today with a global pandemic that has hyper-accelerated the need for change. Um, And research shows that only 40% of companies have actually started to execute on their digital transformation. And out of those that actually went through the effort, 90% reported that they failed to capture the full value of the transformation. So what's going on here? What's happening? Why, Why is something considered so seemingly foundational to the survival of uh, organizations seem to be so difficult to achieve despite how much we talk about it or invest in it. Fortunately, my guest today spends a lot of time thinking about digital transformation. Joel Barbier is a director of Customer Zero at Cisco, where he works to develop strategic insights and value frameworks that help guide the digital transformation of the company and investments for its customers. He's also the co-author of the book, Orchestrating Transformation, How to Deliver Winning Performance with a Connected Approach to Change. Joel, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hello, Terry. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can, can, uh, can we start by just giving the audience, I think the Director of Customer Zero is a neat title. Can you talk a little bit about your role at Cisco and what a Customer Zero uh, program entails? Yes, gladly. So at Cisco, we've established this Customer Zero organization that is a essentially the innovation arm in Cisco IT. We go first, we deploy new solutions early, well before they are commercialized. And we try to find issues. We work uh, with focus on proof of quality, proof of value, and proof of scale, and provide feedback to the business units, to, to our R&D functions, typically providing the perspective of a, a large enterprise uh, operator. So we are Cisco's largest and best customer, very often also the, the, mo- the most complex customer. And what it it helps us do is essentially make sure that what we sell to customers has been tested, vetted, that it's working and integrates well with the rest of our portfolio, that we also have proof points. If customers want to make sure that we are using the technology ourselves, 
we have those showcases, we're learning and we're providing insights in the process. We want to avoid them <laughs> making the mistakes that we that we make. And so learning from our mistakes, from our successes, it also allows us to provide a perspective on where the value is. Of course, we work with our customers and we see, we, we, we build business cases with customers, but very often that's confidential information. And so it also gives us the ability to share uh, some of the business value cases data that we establish internally at Cisco. We, we, we have the ability, for example, to illustrate how um, new automation capabilities are saving 92% of the efforts when it comes to deploying new software images in our infrastructure. Um, so really creating a showcase for, for our customers and, and helping guide them in their deployment. Yeah, that's really great. It's it's almost, I think the other expression I've heard for uh, a customer zero program is eating your own dog food, as they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, we we well. use that expression or also drinking our own champagne. It sounds a little better, but it's the same thing. Yes. Yeah, that's that's really great. Thank you for that. So, uh, so I, I went through and I um, I read through the the book as part of uh, prepping for this. And you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is that over the last two years or so, in particular, in the conversations that I've had with uh, customers, uh, digital transformation has been coming up more frequently. Now, part of that is because. When the discussion gets too focused on technology, I ask the question about where a particular customer is in their digital transformation, but mostly it gets brought up by the business leaders looking for help. And so I've noticed a pattern uh, emerging, at least in my conversations, uh, with companies that appear to be in a, a better position, especially you know coming in through a pandemic across industries. And I've sort of identified three tells or attributes. Um, they understand, the company seems to understand that a human-centric business approach is more agile and allows them to better understand their customers. Their executives prioritize value creation over traditional cost reduction approaches, um, especially during a downturn. And then they seem to know, they understand the technology alone when not allow them to realize the benefits of a transformation. Does does that match up with your definition or, or uh, what you see? Yes. So in fact, before I was in Customer Zero, so I was part of a, a think tank that Cisco had built with a leading management school uh, called IMD, based in Lausanne in, in Switzerland. And we had established this global center for digital business transformation. We spent uh, several years, five years, actually researching uh, what was happening with digital disruption and transformation across industries and value chains. And IMD typically has about 10,000 leaders who go there every every year. They have uh, over 100 alumni. So it gave us much more access uh, to conduct research than we than we had before. And that's really one of the things that we've we've realized, right? One of the <laughs> one of the little secrets that we've realized is that, um, of course, technology innovation helps with digital transformation. But at the end of the day, it's really about business value creation. And so a lot of our customers 
ask about market shift. The, the reason why we undertook this ambitious program of research with IMD and, and prior to IMD, we had a partnership with, with MIT to understand what was happening in the digital economy. The, 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 what we've realized is that um, what causes these really fast market shifts that we're seeing across industries is really uh, the emergence of new value propositions. Newcomers coming into an industry and creating new ways to create and deliver value and to capture, monetize that value. And that's really business model innovation coupled with uh, technology innovation. Technology innovation is the enabler, of, co of course, but it's the business model innovation that's the new thing in, the, in this digital era. And that's the reason why a lot of companies have become so much more concerned about their ability to survive. In fact, in our research, uh, the one number that changed significantly since 2015 is that uh, back in 2015, about one in four of the leaders that we surveyed said digital disruption was a board level topic. Today, with the pandemic, and you mentioned it has hyper-accelerated the issue, uh, with the right. pandemic, nine out of 10 companies are concerned about their ability to, to survive in this digital economy. And so the market shifts are caused by new entrants uh, that come in with a different value proposition, right? Why do we use Uber? because it's cheaper, you know, cost value, because it's more convenient, experience value. And because Uber can actually scale uh, very seamlessly um, across uh, over 150 countries, thanks to uh, the, the platform value that they bring. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so let me let me ask you this, one of the one of the things that you also mentioned in the book is that, which I think is uh, an interesting way to phrase it is that failure is the norm and that most companies don't fully understand the problem they face, which is interesting because in those conversations I mentioned earlier, and I said, you know, when business leaders bring up, bring up digital transformation, they're bringing it up not only from the perspective that they know that it's critical, but they're also looking for, uh, for help, which leads back to this question that there's there seems to be, even though we talk about it a lot and we seem to be investing at least on the technology side we still don't seem to fully understand the problem or at least these companies don't is that a accurate way to look at it very accurate in fact uh, one of the things we found and, and we were surprised i mean we knew that change is hard and and historically if you read their literature on traditional change management um the majority of organizations that try to change uh, find it very, very challenging. But in the case of digital transformation, the traditional state change management is, is not up to the task and the failure rate is actually a lot higher. 95% of the leaders that we've surveyed and the, the 100 or so business leaders that we've worked with very closely to understand how they were doing or reporting that they either fail or fail to capture the full value of the transformation that they had in mind. In a lot right. of cases, that's because the, the, the goals of the transformation are not always very clear upfront or they're not set up to be measured very clearly. But if you ask 
I mean, the first challenge is if you ask across an organization how they um, perceive the the goals of their transformation, everyone is going to have a slightly different story. So it's hard to align on something that where where the understanding is actually very fragmented. But but we think that the main reason why uh, these these uh, transformation uh, the transformation efforts fail is because most organizations really struggle with the very cross-functional aspects. So organizations are typically very complex. We call this organizational entanglement, right? The, the, the scale, right. the interdependencies, the dynamic aspects of organizations cause organizations to be very complex. And so in the face of the complexity of that entanglement, leaders often decide to simplify the problem and actually drive change one function at a time, one, one silo at a time. When you actually do that, you often get the, the opposite effect that you're expecting. You actually put that, that one function or that one silo out of sync with the rest of the organization. And so it's the lack of synergy that uh, most organizations have when they try to change that really cause the, the challenges the the traditional approaches to change don't work and we really had to go outside of the the theories of management to find in music in architecture in uh in in biology examples that we where we could understand how this worked and and bring forward this concept of orchestration how do you bring all of the resources in concert sort of horizontally across the organization together to 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 work on uh, joint outcomes that everybody must embrace across the silos right so orchestration to drive synergies in the transformation orchestrating transformation the book came out in 2019 correct yes was did did uh, did you and your co-authors have any uh, i mean digital transformation is been around a long time in some form, but everything has been flipped on its head over the last two years since 2020. Did you even consider what would happen with an event like that? Or was it as surprising as it was to everybody else at the time of the book writing? Quite surprising, actually. And if yeah. you look at um, if you look at some uh, specific industries, I mean, if you look at education, for example, um, leaders, thought leaders like um, Christensen, at Harvard University had actually long predicted that um, the education model in the US at least had to change, but there was very little that was changing. And all of a sudden uh, with the pandemic, uh, students started taking classes remotely. It was virtual classrooms. A lot of new ways to study were actually implemented very, very quickly. So things that met a lot of resistance before and that were very slow to evolve, all of a sudden becomes became such a necessity that it was done. So things that were long-time obstacles to change happened all of a sudden. If you think of uh, models as, as simple as a restaurant, right? The, the whole operating model of a restaurant where you had sort of a bundled experience, you, you would order, consume, pay, all in the same place. All of that was all of a sudden completely unbundled and 
even the smallest restaurant had to actually have um, an application as their interface to customers. They had to build digital capabilities just to be able to stay in business. And so things that we thought might take another 10 years happen in a matter of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Where where does culture play in a successful digital transformation? I mean, we, we talk about the technology process and people, and obviously um, all of that is part of culture. But one of the things I have found interesting, especially with this push to, you know, future of work, remote working, and so forth, is you hear business leaders uh, and others talk about needing to maintain the culture. And yet it seems to me that the culture also needs to evolve as part of a successful digital transformation. Is is that something that, again, is already being captured and encompassed, or is that something that needs to be highlighted, uh, needs to be highlighted more, especially when we talk about uh, being a, uh, taking a more human-centric approach where there is now seems to be greater awareness and value that we're companies that, and our customers and our employees are all human and you can't just treat them like, um, they, you know, there, there isn't behaviors and emotions and, and things like that. Um, where do you, where do you put culture in sort of the, the grand scheme of things, if you will? So we, we, the, the culture is absolutely essential. And to be honest, um, if we had had, uh, more time, you know, our team actually wrote a first book called uh, Digital Vortex uh, a few years ago, describing right. what was happening with disruption across industries and value chains. Then we realized a lot of companies struggled with the how to transform. And this was the reason for writing, orchestrating transformation. The next book, the third book would have been really about the human aspects and, and culture. And we haven't had a chance <laughs> to do that yet. So, so culture is absolutely essential. And I think 95% of the, the people I talk to ask us, you know, how do I evolve my culture? Um, th- but I think one of the challenges that we see is that uh, we think of culture as a thing when really it's the outcome of a lot of steps that companies are, are taking. So th- this, um, this model of the orchestra that we're using in orchestrating transformation changes the way changes the way we think of an organization. You know, you, if you ask anyone, you know, describe your organization, they will typically describe an org chart, right? A set of functions with R and D, uh, manufacturing, sales, service, support functions like finance. Um, we think that any organization can be represented through a set of eight instruments. And so what are these instruments? If they are not siloed functions, what do they represent? Well, they they represent operational imperatives that any organization has. And so what are my offerings through which channels? Uh, How do I engage uh, my employees, of course, but also my customers and my ecosystem of partners? And how do I organize for transformation? What is my structure? Uh, what are the incentives? How do I reward success? And what is my culture? What is what is the what are the things that people read between the lines when I give guidelines? So, so we think 
Culture is one of these instruments, one of these operational imperatives, but we're also realizing that culture is very much the result of the guidelines that you give to your people, the, the incentives. I mean, very often people tell us we need to change our culture to evolve our culture. So we ask them, well, are you changing the way you reward success? And they're saying, no, 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 we can't touch compensation, right? That's, that's something that's impossible to touch. How can you change the culture, the mindsets, when you're not changing how you reward people? Uh, I mean, for when we talked to a, a large bank, uh, BBVA, uh, one of the, the, the few organizations that we thought had a very successful digital transformation, one of the first things they insisted on was they, they actually changed the incentives. Uh, they changed the job titles in the organization um, from a culture that was very focused on compliance and uh, often punished failure to one that incented experimentation and, and risk-taking, right? So, so culture is very much also the result of the other things you're doing and how you're playing these other instruments in concert. D does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I figured it had a, it had a, a play in all this, um, uh, because again, I have enough conversations with with customers where culture comes up, and you read about it. All the analysts are talking about it, so um, I figured it had a place to play in in digital transformation. Um, if if I pull the thread a little more on sort of the human aspect. Um, in uh, you use uh, you use an acronym in the book have H A V E, which stands for humble, adaptable, visionary, and engaged, and you use it to describe leadership qualities of a person that can best lead the orchestration of of transformation. Um, talk a little bit about those individual terms, specifically humble. I think that's an interesting one. And then what type of background and experience have you found in the research that best matches an individual like that, somebody who has those attributes? Yes. Thank you. Uh, th thank you very much. The, the, so, so thank you for calling out the, what the, the, the acronym means, means this, this, these, um, these four attributes of leadership what the, that we call the must haves, right? Really actually align with the organizational capabilities that or that that um, companies need to create agility, um, so so the first one, humble, doesn't necessarily mean that your leader doesn't have an ego, but it means that increasingly in this digital world, things can be very very complex, and you need to empower employees, right? So people leaders are not necessarily people who actually know everything, have the the most knowledge in in one function. Uh, it actually means that they need to be able to delegate and identify the other people who will actually make uh, the most relevant decisions uh, function by function, right? So humble is actually the, the ability to, to listen. With that comes adaptable, right? Sometimes uh, a certain direction makes, makes sense for a while, but then the environment changes. And so having a, a very definite strategy uh, a plan that you absolutely stick to very consistently for years um, may not be something that works in an environment that's uh, increasingly dynamic where 
customer expectations change. The competitive situation is very fluid. Uh, technology innovation happens everywhere. And so being adaptable also means being able to, to actually be able to take in a lot of the information uh, around you in a very objective way and to actually align with what you're reading, right? Very quickly taking take in a lot more information and quickly make informed decisions about this, even if it means changing direction, d- direction uh, pivoting very quickly. Um, v means visionary, and that's really the ability to um, inspire people around you. In fact, that's one of the reasons I joined Cisco <laughs> many years ago. It's because the company had a vision about how technology could actually change our lives, uh, changing the way we work, live, play, and learn. That was, you know, the tagline. Uh, but but really having uh, a view of what the, cu- the, the future could be made of and how people could actually participate in that and, and bring everybody along with that, with that vision. Um, by the way, that's another reason why many companies actually struggle to transform because their vision is very generic, very um, bland, not very quantified. Uh, right. At Cisco, uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a vision called that we, we, we called out as uh, 40, 40 by 2020. 40% of our revenue coming from services, 40% of our, sorry, from 40% of our revenue coming from software, sorry, uh, 40% of our revenue coming from recurring offers by the year 2020. So everybody in the organization, anyone could actually gauge what they did and prioritize their efforts based on that objective. You could very quickly understand based on that simple vision whether what you did was actually aligned with with the vision. And then the last one is engaged. And, and that, that means that leaders need to be uh, approachable, willing to debate, um, uh, not live in an ivory tower, but actually right. uh, stay close to employees. Uh, here again, you can actually use a lot of technology capabilities to, to listen. Um, right. in, in this hybrid work, uh, where everybody is uh, uh, working uh, from home or working in, in a flexible model, but a lot of people are far and isolated, it's increasingly important that the leadership can actually check in with employees to understand if they're on board, what the challenges are. Um, and, and so uh, at Cisco, we've, we've, we've established something that we call the Cisco Beat, where leaders either talk directly to employees on a regular basis or actually take the leaders who are not on stage presenting are actually taking questions. They're, you know, taking Q and a, and there's a thread of comments that goes on. So you can immediately take the pulse. If, if something the leadership announces is, is either not clear or, or that people don't align, you immediately know that um, it needs to be better explained or, 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 or the direction the direction might need to change, right? So, so being yeah. engaged is increasingly important. Does that yeah. help? Yeah, absolutely. Do do you ever do you ever see a um, have you seen benefits for 
the transformational leader to be somebody that already works within the company as opposed to somebody who comes from the outside? Is there is there an advantage in something like a digital transformation to have um, you know an outsider's view, or is it better to have somebody from the inside because you know when you talk about being engaged and when you talk about having skin in the game, somebody who's already in the company you would think is more engaged and can do a better job. Is 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 that a dynamic that you see? Yes. With digital so, transformation? And I'm sorry, yeah. I forgot that, that second part of your question. I, I was passionate about the first part. <laughs> and so um, I think um, we, we, I would answer this in a, in a nuanced way. Uh, on the one hand, uh, bringing in people who have um, very little understanding of, of a company, its culture, its strength, the value proposition. And that's probably the most important. How does the value chain work? What is the value proposition to customers? Bringing out in outsiders can potentially be um, destructive. And so having uh, people who are uh, leaders who emerge from the ranks is actually very important. At the same time, I think sometimes uh, when it comes, uh, uh, when it's come to, to, it comes to change, even if you have a good understanding of the problem, uh, you don't necessarily have uh, the, the, the understanding of how to conduct the change. And, and so uh, very often uh, bringing in uh, new talent, uh, people who actually understand uh, the business model change, uh, who have actually implemented it, uh, is something that's, that is going to help. At Cisco, for example, We've actually um, brought in new leadership that comes from very, very successful business-to-business SaaS companies and who have that understanding of how a SaaS model can actually work in, in technology. And while, while we knew, I was, um, I was part of the team that did uh, the diagnostic 15 years ago that we had to move to a SaaS model, we didn't necessarily know how to implement it. And so bringing in people who can actually um, build that blueprint of how the change is going to work is actually very important. And so really a nuanced view. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so through the, the research for the book and even in your current um, position at Cisco, um, we talked about all the reasons why digital transformations fail and what you have to do. Do you have any actual examples of successful digital transformations that that you've experienced that you could use as sort of, you know, for the listener? Um, this is something gone right, if you will, as opposed to this is something that's gone wrong and value wasn't realized and so forth. Anything you could share? Yeah. I mean, a couple of examples of companies that we've, we've studied closely, uh, actually talking to their leaders. I talked about BBVA and sure. how 20 years ago they realized that um, if, if uh, the, that the bank had to become a mobile bank, if the mobile channel worked, uh, the, the, the rest of the, the channels would actually follow. And, and they were actually able to, to align. In fact, Jose Alaya, who was at the time the digital CIO at BBVA, is really one of the people who inspired us to stop thinking in a very linear and sequential way. I mean, we, we asked him the questions that a lot of our customers were asking, you know, where do you start? 
and he paused and he thought, um, you know, when it comes to transformation, where do you start is actually the wrong question is, is it, 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 because it's, it's symptomatic of that linear and sequential approach. And you have to actually bring different, um, different areas of the organization together at the same time. So in order to create mobile offerings, you have to attract uh, digital talent. To attract digital talent, you have to change uh, the culture of the company from one that uh, focuses on compliance and, and doesn't like failure to one that encourages risk-taking and experimentation. It also took them uh, efforts to actually change the job titles from very hierarchical definitions to definitions of, of jobs that focused on what people actually did. I think they, they, they actually got rid of um, company cars as a, as, a, as a status thing. So, so really threading the change so that different elements of the organization would change in concert uh, was, was, was key. And, and, you know, 20 years forward, they've been very successful in creating a, a mobile bank, but I can take other examples. I mean, the way Starbucks implemented mobile order and pay in a way to, um, better knowing their customers, serving them faster. That's a great example of how they've built this digital business agility into, into their model. You know, in the book, you'll find a lot more examples of companies yeah, yeah. that have been successful. Yeah, that that that's great. Thank you, thank you for that. Uh, so we we know where we've been since you did the research and the book, global pandemic, and so forth. Uh, peer into your crystal ball, <laughs> and and give me and and the listener an idea of. Where do you think digital transformation goes between, you know, from now until say the next three years, 2025, does it, uh, does it become, uh, any easier? Does the understanding become better? Um, or are we still in for, um, you know, rough waters because it, it's, it's complex. It involves a lot of moving parts and, there's no easy way to get over it or around it. You just have to, you know, put in the effort, talk to the right people, make the right investments uh, to be able to get there. Yeah. So, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be very, very rich and I'd be able to retire. <laughs> but um, I hear you. A couple of Appreciate things. Um, so, so first of all, I think a few things have evolved. Um how people, how organizations are uh, organizing for orchestration. Uh, a few years ago, um, there was a real split between organizations that thought that they had to create a standalone unit to drive digital transformation, and those that thought that uh, digital transformation uh, was uh, uh, every manager's problem. Um, I think there's much greater ownership of this idea of digital transformation across organizations um, and, and realization that it's part of the leadership's responsibility to take that on, to rethink the, the value proposition. Um, I also see increasingly th this becomes a, a problem that's a little bit more familiar. I mean, I, I'll draw a parallel, you know, 20 years ago, 
when we were speaking to customers at Cisco about having a website and the internet, um, some customers told us, oh, no, it's a fad. It's going to go away. Why should we have a website? And, you know, two years later, they realized uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty important. Um, we had the same challenge, right? A few years ago, back in 2015, one in uh, only one in four leaders said um, digital transformation was a board level agenda. Uh, now, you know, nine out of 10 uh, think they have to transform. Um, also, although, as I said, a lot still struggle to understand how uh, this, this, these practices of transformation, this understanding is making its way into university curriculum, into the, the knowledge that management has. Uh, I teach at uh, Northeastern University, for example, and there is now interest in classes about transform uh there right so so i think right the, the understanding is getting better and better and and the the understanding of how um technology innovation and business mo uh, model innovation can be combined to create new forms of value uh th that's become much more familiar for a lot of people but i but i still think that many organizations struggle in terms of understanding how to how to transform right so 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 there's quite st still quite a bit of work to do and that's because changing your business model is really hard it, it's it's very often very counterintuitive to understand how these how you're going to structure the, the these value exchanges is there let, let me let me ask you let me ask you this is there having said that for somebody that comes to Joel Barbier today and says I'm, I'm working on a digital transformation or thinking about it. Is there, is there one specific piece of advice that, that you would give them that you think would be either beneficial in the case that they're, it's not going as well as they anticipated or they haven't started. Um, and you want to make sure that they stay on track. Is there one, one thing for them to focus on that's foundational? And if you can, if you can get to that, then things will go a little smoother. Um, yeah. Any, the, any stage advice? <laughs> so, so if I told you there, there's one thing I would actually <laughs> defeat the whole purpose of this idea of orchestration, that, that a lot of things have to fall in place in concert. However, I would, uh, um, I would, I would work backwards from what are the objectives and the objectives have to start with, a customer value-centric perspective. How do we create and deliver value for our customers? And in that context, are we going to play offense or defense? Um, what what is the what is the business model that that actually works the best? And then look at your customer journey, and look at uh, points in the customer journey where you have to uh, provide a great experience or a great value uh, versus other points in the customer journey where actually digital capabilities can mask the complexity, the tedium, and make things very seamless, right? How do you eliminate the friction? And so what are the things that stand in the way of, of, of that transformation? And that should guide uh, what elements of the organization I should... Um, um, I should bring into this orchestration, right? 
what elements of the organization, people, process, technology, do I need to to bring into the orchestration and work together, uh, mobilize, enable to make the, the change work? Sounds good. There you have it. You heard it. Uh, Joel, thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate your time. I look forward to finding uh, other opportunities down the road for uh, for us to continue this uh, this dialogue. Thank you. I mean, if there's two words, right? How do I build agility in my business model and operating model? And how do I build synergy across the, the organization for transformation? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you again, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show, and I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.